Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, we are looking at the, uh, the statements of Jesus as we go through this course, uh, as we go through the course of this series, Searching for Jesus. And as uh, Pastor Heather was mentioning, we're talking about resurrection uh, this, this Sunday. And, you know, it's, a really, it's really fascinating how much of our society focuses in on the possibility that there could be life after death, or could people come back to life? And you've got some of our students are in the room. We don't have our youth small group meeting this morning, but any of our students, you read the Twilight series, you've read, and there's all that series about people that are never dying, the ability, and it's this fascination on that. And there was a a series uh, on, on TV, I can't remember what, network it was on, but a few years ago it was called, it was called Resurrection, and yeah, there was a, and there were people that were able to come back to life, and they, they had been brought back, they had lived years ago, and they never aged, and they came back into the, into the world, and they re-engaged with life that way. Mel Gibson is making another movie to uh, a follow-up. I don't know if you've, if, if you've heard this, or if you're a fan of Mel, we're not promoting either, but, um, <laughs> but Mel made The Passion of the Christ, and he's now making a follow-up to, uh, the movie, the, to the movie The Passion and focusing on the resurrection and the days following Jesus' resurrection. And even now, people, I don't know if you've looked into this, if, you, if, if this is your, again, I'm not promoting any one way or another, but anyone ever looked into cryogenics and the ability to freeze yourself and come back to there are people that actually can free, we know now we can freeze DNA and we can maybe at some point bring ourselves back to life. But there's a fascination of is there a possibility that you can come back to life? Is there life after death? Can we preserve life? And that's what we're going to look at this morning, not from a cryogenics and not from Mel Gibson's point of view, but from a biblical point of view. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be touching on a story about what Jesus said about himself, that he was the resurrection and the life. Now, to kind of set up the story, I want to let you know kind of where we're at. Our, our key passage is found in John chapter 11. And, and what's happening here, before we get to the passage, is this. Now, last week we talked about the Good Shepherd, and after that story had unfolded and Jesus had made that I am statement, that I am the Good Shepherd, uh, the story continues or, or picks up in the second half of John chapter 10. And in here, what happens is Jesus has made his way uh, into Jerusalem, and he is actually in Solomon's colonnade. Now, this is kind of a neat touch point because here at Portico, uh, as, a, as an entire church, as all of our campuses, we are called Portico, and we draw our name from that title. Because in Solomon's colonnade, there was this area called the Portico where all the nations of the world would come. That was the place where everyone could come and worship, and, and that's what we believe as well as an entire church. And but Portico is more catchy than colonnade. Yes. Right? There yeah, you go. Right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as, as Jesus is here in that, in, in that place, um, he's there for the festival of dedication, uh, and he makes another messianic declaration that he and the Father are one. He says, I and the Father are one. And it's a pretty big thing for him to say. He's pretty much coming out and saying it quite clearly, I am God. I am the Son of God. And people were so angered by what he had said that they actually picked up stones to throw at him. They were ready to kill him right there in that moment. 
Anyway, it wasn't God's timing that this is how everything should play out. So Jesus actually escapes and goes into the area of Perea. And this is where uh, John the Baptist had been doing a lot of ministry. And the cool thing here is the Bible actually talks about, the, the end of chapter 10, talks about how uh, Jesus was well-received in that area. You know, people had heard John the Baptist's message. Uh, they were primed and ready to hear it. And Jesus was able to do many miracles in that area. And a lot of people came to believe. So he's in this area of Perea. And if you can't see that, we've got that right up, right up over here on the map. He was in, he was in the area, and he was moving across into Perea. And then we've got a, a close-up of it, right, Anil, if you, if you can see. So he's gone across the river into, into Perea. And, and mm-hmm. we're going to have a meeting after the service today. If you're interested in going seeing some of these places, uh, there's a trip that's going next fall. And uh, Pastor Jeff is here. Hello. <laughs> he's leading, leading, uh, leading a, a, a trip and for pe- people from from Portico. And if you want to touch base and have a conversation about maybe going to see some of these places, you can touch base with me. You can talk to Jeff. And uh, there's, we've got some information for you. So we, if you're interested at all, I know that there's uh, quite a lot of interest in potentially going to see some of these places. So talk to us right after the service and see if you can get an application in to go on that trip because there is limited space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here we see uh, with Jerusalem, uh, Jesus makes his way. It's about a two days journey or so up to the, the region of Perea. And while he's there, uh, he gets word that Lazarus, a friend of his, is sick. So earlier in the, in the chronology of Jesus' life and ministry, he meets Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and he becomes good friends with them. So while he's up here, after he's escaped from Jerusalem, uh, he's been living in Perea for the last few months, and he gets word that uh, Lazarus is sick. And we're going to pick up the story here uh, in verse uh, 17 of chapter 11. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So now, not only is Lazarus sick, but he's actually died. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, as you can see from that map that we had there before. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus poses this question. Now, saying something like that probably makes you feel like Jesus is setting himself up for something that's, you know, pretty mind-blowing, pretty spectacular. His his friend had just died, but now he's talking about resurrection. You know, is he maybe setting us up for something? So, Pastor Rick, talk to us a little bit about the context of of this statement, that I am the resurrection and the life. What was going on uh, as the story was unfolding? Sure, and... if you have a Bible, or you have a, a smartphone or an, a device with you, you're going to want to open John chapter 11 and hold it open because we don't have the verses on screen, but we're going to touch a lot of these verses as, as we go through because what we're going to do is look at the relationships that Jesus had with the people in the story and the impact that that statement and, what he, and his actions, wh- how it would have impacted them when he waited two days and when he, they heard these things. And there's two distinct groups we're going to focus in on. The first one is the family that he had been, the family that he had been staying with. Have you ever had the pleasure of having extended house guests? Anyone ever had the pleasure? Somebody, they've lived with you for, for weeks, months, days, whatever it is. 
you know what it's like when people start to get on top of each other, where it's like <laughs> there's not quite enough bathrooms for the amount of people that, that, that are there, and everyone has their own rhythms and their own habits and things like that, and some people leave more hair in the bathroom than other people, <laughs> and some people spend longer amounts of time in the bathroom than other people, and some people feel that the milk should never be left out on the counter, and some people are like, oh, it's only yep. been there three hours, we're okay, and so <laughs> Some people, some people are loud when they get up in the morning and they're, I'm baking breakfast and it's wonderful. And other people, can we just sleep in? And, and when you live on top of each other, it, you, you bond. How about, how about we put it that way? You bond, <laughs> you bond in good ways and you're happy. You bond in not so great ways and you're like, we are, we are now bonded firmly apart. That's how, that's how <laughs> bonded we are. No, it's, you come, to, when you share an experience and you're living close with with, with one another. You, you, you begin to feel these attachments and you know what bugs each other, you, but you do have this common tie together. Well, what we're first introduced to Mary and Martha, it's in the book of Luke and it's in chapter 10, but Jesus is teaching in that area and he's living in their home is what we presume. For, for part of the time, for sure he was. We don't know how long he was, but we're, I don't know if you know the story of, of, of Mary and Martha, but Jesus actually invites people from the region right into their home, and be, so now invites more people into the home and begins teaching them. And Martha's upset. She's, she's like, I've got all these people to feed. I've got to clean. I've got to do all this stuff. And, and Mary could care less. Mary is the sister. Mary could care less about how, how things are being prepared and done. She goes, I just want to listen to Jesus, and there's conflict going on there. But in the end, both of these ladies and their brother Lazarus, who is their teacher, they, they become followers of Jesus and they become known as a spot where, where they could come and hear. Um, this house becomes a spot no, known that's where Jesus is and you can come and hear him and you can come and see him. And then in John 11, go to, go to verses five and six. So this is after Lazarus dies. Jesus is on, her, on his way back. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus. And when he heard Lazarus was sick, Remember, he's in Perea. He's two days away, like Josh has said. He stayed there for two more days. Now, that statement doesn't make sense unless he had re- really been offended and didn't want to go back to that home, unless he was, like, bonded apart. <laughs> if he loved them, why did he wait two days to go back into the home? Watch the domino effect on, on the family. The impact on Mary is that Mary hears Jesus is making his way back to their region, to where, he, to where she lived, and she can't even bring herself t- to come out and see Jesus. Look at, look at verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Mary didn't even want to go and see Jesus when he came. She had been let down by Jesus. Think about this. The one in whom she had total trust, she knew very well that he could do miracles, and yet he doesn't even come for two days when Lazarus, who had been like family, gets sick, and Jesus waits. It crushes her. She's been completely let down. Eventually, Jesus is going to have to call for her. You see in verse 28, if you scroll down, he has to call for Mary to come out of the house. And she comes and she looks at him, and all she can do is ask, why did you let Lazarus die? I mean, why did you wait for two days when you knew that he was dying? So she cries, and that makes Jesus cry. And We, <laughs> we see in verse, in verse, in verse 30, 33, when she's upset, Jesus becomes upset also. And think about the impact on Martha. Martha's this lady that valued hard work, and she had, she had chosen to entertain people from the region of guests. Rather than listening to Jesus teach whom we know she believes in, whom we know she's following, rather than listening, she's doing all this work 
because she knows how important it is, and she knows that Jesus has the ability to heal, and she had worked so hard for him and frustrated that Jesus didn't even seem concerned enough to come back and return the favor to say, hey, listen, we live together. I did this for you. How come you didn't come? Here's what we read in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Josh had read that. Now, the impact on Lazarus, the other member of the family, well, that's pretty clear. <laughs> he, he waited two days and Lazarus had died by the time that Jesus came back. He may not even have been dead if Jesus had left right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this idea or there's this belief in Jewish uh, culture and tradition. It's called the Mishnah. Basically, it's uh, an understanding of, of the way of life and, and certain beliefs of how uh, life plays itself out. Now, part of that is that there's a belief that the spirit of a person who dies will still be with that body for up to three days. So, at, at any one point, if someone dies, you know, there was even this belief that if someone could be raised to life, uh, that it could happen. But what happens here? Jesus isn't coming on the fourth day, and so this is not even happening. Uh, and uh, and again, we were talking a little bit earlier about the, the Jay's travel, right? Jesus hears about it. He knows that it's going to take him a couple of days to get back to Bethany. And yet, there's no way at this point, based on the Mishnah, for, them to, uh, for that life to be, ro- uh, to be revived. Uh, in verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He was dead. And beyond what they believed was any possibility of being resurrected. And he, he had been in the tomb right from, right from day one. But he, this is just this re, reaffirmation that he's gone. Mm-hmm. It's over. Jesus, you missed the window. Yep. <laughs> now, the impact on the disciples, I want you to think the profound thoughts that would have been going through their head. His closest friends, the disciples, had just taken Jesus out of the region because he was going to be stoned there. He had just said, I and the Father are one. And they're like, we got to get you out of here because people are going to kill you. And some were, if you read in verse 8, some of them were saying, we can't go back there because that's where he was going to be killed. And others of them were ready to go back and start this religious revolution. They had, many of the disciples had been expecting that the whole purpose that Jesus was there was to overthrow the government and start this revolution. They were like, now's the time. It's actually really interesting, John eleven sixteen. then Thomas, remember Thomas is going to be the one that doubts that Jesus comes back to life later on <laughs> in scripture we read, but then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let's also go that we may die with him. Like Thomas <laughs> is ready to take on the battle. And so the impact of Jesus saying, I'm going back. And I'm, on a side note, they were right. If you know the context of this story, this was leading up to the week where Jesus was going to be ar- arrested and executed. And actually the disciples, instead of joining the fight, they were scattered. And when he was arrested, they were much less ready to be killed with him. But at that very moment, if they were going to go, they must have been a little confused. Like, if we're going to go, we're going to take this on. Why wouldn't we go right when you got word? And here's how Jesus responds to them in verse 15. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there when Lazarus died, so that you may believe. Interesting statement. And he says, but let's go to him now. Mm-hmm. So what we've been seeing, Pastor Rick, what you've been talking about, when something happens at any one moment, uh, when life happens, I think it reaches us in all, any number of different ways. You know, it happened differently for Martha, the way that Mary responded, the disciples responded. And I think when it comes to death or really anything in life, I think this story reveals that we react in any number of ways and it can impact us and it can change us and how we respond will be, you know, so different. I think similarly, though, in how a bad event can 
uh, affect us in a particular way, I think something hopeful can also uh, make us respond or react in, in a particular way. And, and something as hopeful as resurrection can speak to us in different ways. And so I think we should try to understand what Jesus was trying to say or, or why he said what he did. What was he trying to do? So why did Jesus say that I am the resurrection and the life? So we already talked about how he was going back. He was getting ready to die. We know the disciples weren't sure if this fight was going to come on, but Jesus knew full well he was getting ready to die. In fact, in, in, another, in Luke's gospel, the, he says that there was a moment in Jesus' life and ministry in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. This is, this is the time, mm-hmm. reading in John 11 as well. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The disciples expected whoever Messiah was was going to lead a revolution politically. But Jesus wasn't about that. He was about to lead a spiritual revolution, a spiritual renewal. And so many times I, we think about what's Jesus' purpose? What should he do for me? He's gonna, he should change my physical circumstances. Like, like if, if I'm dealing with an issue, whether it's job, whether it's health, whether it's just something going, that, that I'm dealing with, Jesus should come and change the physical aspects of what I'm facing, which is what the disciples were expecting. Mm-hmm. But Jesus goes, no, I'm about to lead a spiritual renewal. He was so much more interested in changing what was happening inside and further their souls and working the miracle inside of us than changing what was going on externally. But the words resurrection and life challenged each of these groups very specifically as well. Martha was already convinced that that people would rise again in the afterlife. We read that in verses 23 and 24. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know we'll rise again in the resurrection and the last day. But Jesus wants to expand that belief of her. Let's continue on verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Think of, she's saying the one who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? How is she supposed to answer that? Lazarus believed in him and just died. So how is she supposed to, to answer this question? She answers, yes, Lord. Tongue in cheek, maybe, I don't know. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. She can't say, though, I believe that we'll never die. Now, the disciples, it it affects them very profoundly as well. I want you to consider the disciples. They had already had living proof or seen proof that there there was life beyond this life. In Matthew chapter 17, if you know the Bible, there's this uh, thing that we talk about called the transfiguration. If you don't, here's, here's what happened. Jesus t- took Peter, James, and John up to, up to a place, and then Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Their spirits, their bodies appeared to them. And Moses and Elijah are like the two superheroes of their faith. Like th- These are the people that everyone would talk about. This was like if you asked anybody, if you could choose two people you want to have dinner with, who would it be? It would be, we would have dinner with Moses and Elijah. That's who, that's who we want to be. Consequently, for me, it would be probably Tom Brady and... <laughs> Not saying anything about the Super Bowl tonight. May- no? <laughs> maybe Nelson Mandela as well. We'll, we'll put a couple things in there. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> oh. But this is like, they saw these two people that died and came back to life. So the disciples knew there was life after death. Martha's challenged because Jesus is looking at her like, this is, this is crazy hard for her to say, is there life after death? Mm-hmm. 
Now, there are other people who are, are watching this as well. Again, not only Martha, not only Mary and the disciples, but there are the religious leaders who are around. Now, remember, they were around when he had made the bread of life statement and all these different things that were playing out over the course of, uh, of Jesus' life. Now, these religious le leaders are around again because there's talk of resurrection and, and what's going on here. Now, they hear about someone. Now, imagine, they're, they're going to be around because... They, they hear about this man named Jesus who's rallying the support from around the region. He's performing miracles. He's doing all these really neat things. And the religious believe, uh, leader sorry, uh, believed that uh, in something called messianic miracles. So there were these four miracles that they believed that if the Messiah were to come, uh, this person would show and prove himself and prove his identity by performing these four miracles. And this could not be done by a human or a rabbi even. This was going to be the Messiah. Uh, so, and the first three, by this point in their story, have already occurred. The first one we find in Mark chapter 1. Uh, there was a discussion if Jesus could forgive sin. Uh, he said, you know what, I'll prove that I can forgive sin, but not only just forgive sin, I can actually heal. And so he heals this leper. And so one of the miracles is to heal a person who has leprosy. Uh, the next one is in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, it was about giving speech to a person who is mute. Uh, in, in this particular story, uh, the rabbis believe that there are many physical conditions. If you were not well, a lot of it had to do with demonic possession and uh, a demonic influence. Now, if you could speak to a demon and learn that, that demon's name and call it out, that was one thing. But again, remember, uh, for a demon who makes you mute, you can't do that. So there was something very special about a demonic uh, influence that impacted someone who couldn't speak. And so if you get someone to speak, that was something that the Messiah could do, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus healed this person who had this, uh, had this uh, a muteness. And then finally, in John chapter 8, Jesus healed a man born blind. Uh, now, he, in, and remember here, this is a person who is born blind. If someone has sight already, it was one thing for them to, you know, maybe it was medicine, maybe it was a miraculous healing, you're not really sure. But someone who is born blind, someone who has never had sight before, for that person to receive their sight... That was another messianic miracle. And even when it came to resurrecting people from the dead, Jesus had already done that. Remember, we're talking about um, there was the, the girl who had, had fallen ill. She was raised to, uh, to life. She had been dead for less than a day because the, the family was still mourning her. So she had done this. But a messianic miracle, remember, going back to the context of the Mishnah, you know, if it's within the first three days, it's okay. Yeah, that, it, it's one thing. But... After three days, for someone to be raised to life, that's an entirely different thing. And that was the fourth messianic miracle uh, that Jesus would have to perform in order to prove his identity. Uh, in John chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, uh, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. Because they couldn't believe it. When they eventually hear that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, they want to see evidence of this because this is one of those messianic miracles. And so the chief priest made plan to kill Lazarus as well. I mean, I don't know what you do about that. I mean, to believe <laughs> so, so passionately that a person is not the Messiah, that you would even try to hide the evidence. I mean, it came to a point where the, the religious leaders, I think, you know, early on, you can credit them for being very, hey, I want to be, you know, scrutinize this. I want to make sure that this is not something that we're just being, you know, having the wool pull it over our eyes. But at some point, you have to believe that Jesus is who he said he is when he does all these miracles, when he says and proves all these I am statements, and to the point where they're willing to now even hide the truth. <laughs> and we, 
So we take it back into the context of this story. Remember, we're, we're putting ourselves in that story, thinking about, could we believe? And the rumors are starting to circulate that these three miracles have been done, but then Jesus didn't stop Lazarus from dying. He had been a close friend who was dying. He did nothing. I want you to read verse 37 if you still have your Bibles open. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Mm. So the reputation's at stake now. Could we actually believe that this is the one who is who he said he was? And remember, he said to his disciples, we're going to go back, and I delayed going back two days. Why? So that you might believe. Mm -hmm. Very specifically, he said that he was about to prove that he wasn't only a teacher and he wasn't only a friend. He was the Messiah, the one who would save their souls. So Jesus approaches the tomb and he gives instruction to roll this big rock away that had been covering, foreshadowing what was going to happen for his own tomb in a few days, and a few weeks. People were horrified because there had been a dead body inside rotting for close to four days now, confirming obviously that they didn't believe that Jesus had this power over life and death. Mm. I'm unsure if they could trust him, but let's read the last uh, four verses of this, of this story as it takes place. So they took the stone away, verse 41. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come on out. <laughs> and the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in the strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes. And he let him go. Imagine what it must have been like to, to witness that, you know? For someone who's been dead for four days, people believe that there would have been a, you know, an amazing stench because he would have started <laughs> to decompose. And here comes this man walking out of this tomb. I mean, I, I can't imagine what that must have been like. You know, between all the miracles that Jesus had performed as well up until this point, with this culmination of raising a person back to life, I think he, Jesus now makes a compelling case for his identity. He has said what he said about the I am statements. He has shown that he and the Father are one. He has performed all these miracles to show that he has the power to back up the statements that he has. But I think there were people who would still doubt. And, and I think even today, you know, people are still unsure if they can trust Jesus for who he said he was, that, you know, he was the Son of God and that he was the hope of the world. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to be taking that opportunity to kind of wrestle that down for each of us, uh, no matter where we're at in our, in our journey of belief and faith. Um, but before we get there, what would you say is the appropriate response uh, for those of us who do believe? Mary, Martha, the disciples, the people that we're looking at in this story, the reason why we wanted to take a long time walking through how they would have thought, how they would have responded, is that we know that they were followers of Jesus. They were people who believed. And none of them had faith to believe beyond the here and now in their present reality. Think about that. They were like you and I, trying to follow Jesus, believing that he was who he said he was, and none of them had the ability to go, but I believe hmm. that you have power over life and death. And even if somebody close to me and close to you dies, it's not going to change my belief that you have the power. They struggled with that. And what happens to us as Christ followers when the reality that we experience, the things we go through day by day, when it doesn't line up with the hope that we read about in the Bible? What, about, what, what happens when, when God says, I can heal you, and you don't experience healing? 
what happens when the Bible says, yeah, I have the power of life and death over life and death, and, and then Jesus delays, and the person dies? It shakes our faith. It makes us start to question, well, I don't even know if God is who he says he Sure, I believe that there's, there's, there's um, importance, and, and there's power in being in church and hearing the right things, and, and being a, but I don't know that Jesus affects my day by day. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was saying that to follow him meant you'd never die, and then Lazarus dies. You know what I want to challenge us with this morning is, what do we build our theology off of? What do we, what do we build what we believe about God off of? It, do, we believe, do we build our belief out of what we experience every day, or do we build our belief over what we read in the word of God to be true? And the lesson here is that our lives are not to be about how we live every day. Our lives are not to be focused on, you know, if I have a bad day, if I have a bad experience, then, then I guess things aren't going so well and God's not really listening and I need to cry out to God. No, our, our lives are to be about every day sustaining on the bread of life, every day listening for God's word, every day seeing ourselves as the light and the presence that we're supposed to be in the world and sharing that light with other people. The life that he offers us, the promise that he has, is not actually to experience fullness here on earth. The promise is that we would have experienced fullness in heaven mm-hmm. one day. And when things don't work so well around here, we're to say, we're not supposed to question our faith because things went poorly today. We're supposed to look at our faith every day and go, what does that mean in my life here? Mm-hmm. How, do I, how do I do that? Start with the word of God. We live in the here and now. And that's the most difficult thing, is that we don't live in, for in eternity right now. Mm-hmm. We live here and now. And we find enjoyment, we find highs and lows every day. We have, and there's nothing wrong in that. We have, we, have the, um, like we have joy that we get from our families sometimes. We have stress that we get from our families sometimes. We have successes in this world. We, have, we, have, we experience love in this world. We, tonight I'm excited. I said I'm wanna, I'd have dinner with Tom Brady. I'm excited <laughs> to watch the Super Bowl. We, we, let, we find great things in this world. But none of us has lived a life that has no letdowns that has no pitfalls. And in fact, some of us are entrenched in one probably right now. And I want to read a text out of John a few chapters later. And this is Jesus speaking again in his final days to those who were trying to follow him, who were struggling with their belief. I want to read verses one through four. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Now take this in. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God so also believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that weren't so, I wouldn't have told you (laughs) that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and I'll take you with me so that you can be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And the way to the place is by trusting in him and not by looking at what we can do and what we can experience today, but by saying, Even though people die, I believe that people never die. (laughs) Even though there's sickness, I believe that there's a place where there will be no sickness. Even though I struggle, I know there's a place where I'll never have to struggle again. So I don't put my faith in what I'm experiencing day by day. I put my faith in the Word of God, and my life is about the Word of God, and nothing will shake that. Nothing will shake that, and I will live the way that the Bible says, not the way that the world seems to want to shape me. And Jesus walked into a home full of mourners who were broken by what they had just experienced, questioning Jesus, full of mourners over death. 
And he wanted to prove to them that they could trust him. He wanted to show them that, hey, he did have control over life and death. If I wanted Lazarus to live, I could have done it. <laughs> you know why I, don't, I didn't do it? Because your life isn't about these 60 years or 70 years or 80 years or cryogenically 200 years. or what. Your life isn't about that. Your life is about the eternity that I've promised with you. And you know what? Some days I wish, I wish God would make life about this here and now. I look at a lot of you would know for the last month we've been, my daughter wakes up every morning and her hand cramps and spasms. And she goes through horrible pain and, and we pray and we go see doctors and, and, we, and we say, God can heal you. He can. And sometimes it goes down. And lots of days it doesn't. And so then I look at hope and I go, but we believe that God can heal even when your hand stays cramped. Why? Because it's not about if we experience a cramp today. It's about Jesus saying, I can heal you and I have something better for you one day. There was a, uh, years ago, a family friend of ours down in Chicago, um, probably called himself a nominal Christian and just had lost the will to live and attempted suicide and it failed. And he was taken to the hospital and it was in that moment as he was recovering, God just took a hold of his life and transformed him. And just the, the amazing testimony that came out of that you know, friends and family would come and visit him there, and he was just powerfully witnessing and, sh you know, transforming other people's lives. Uh, he shared that when he would sleep and wake up, he would recall dreams that he had. God gave him visions of going into nightclubs and, and proclaiming the gospel. And so it just looked like to all of us that God had taken a hold of this young man's life and was going to do something great in, it, in him and through him. But a few weeks later, he dies. And it shook the family, shook all of us, because we could not understand how God had taken uh, a hold of this person's life, and it seemed like it was now on the right track, and the potential for the impact that he would have, and then to be taken away. I mean, it really shook people. I still remember the week between his dying and his funeral, that there was this rumbling, there was this uh, undercurrent of... God could totally raise him back from the dead. Maybe this is part of his story. And so there was this prayer chain that was happening. God, you can raise him. You can bring him back. To the point where we have the funeral, nothing happens. We're at the gravesite, nothing happens. Even as he's being lowered into the ground, all of a sudden his uncle and his cousins are saying, Mone, which is in Malayalam, is a son. He says, you're supposed to get up. You're supposed to get up. People could not believe that this was happening. It seemed like his life was in one trajectory, God had taken in another, and we cannot make sense of it. And you hear that story, and you hear your own stories, and you hear Lazarus's story, and the logical earthly connection is, so give up hope in a God that doesn't seem to care. But we're not going to do that. We're going to celebrate in a moment, because I'm going to read for you a couple scriptures that give me hope. Because it's in these moments that I recognize, hey, I live in a broken world where sin has caused brokenness, and the promise that waits for me is beyond the here and now. Here's what Paul said. Philippians 1.21. He said, for me, to live is Christ. I don't do anything other than I live for Christ. And to die, that's gain. <laughs> because I go, gain, I go beyond what I experience here and now. If I live here longer on earth, I do so only to exist, to be light in this world. I do so only by hearing the shepherd's voice, by receiving the bread, because he is the resurrection and the life. And if I die, hey, well, that's a win because I leave a place where I'm disappointed and I struggle. 
He said it even more strongly in Galatians 2 and 20. He said, I've actually been crucified with Christ and I no longer even live. (laughs) My life was put up on there on the cross and it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we're going to sing a song today. And I'm going to encourage you, if you've been going through a time where it's been, it's been a struggle, where it's been a challenge, we're going we're gonna to sing a song that, it's a new song to it, and it's called Alive in You. And it's talking about we're not looking for the life that we can live out. We're looking for the life that God can give us. At the end of this story we read this morning, Jesus turned to Martha and poses this question. Anyone who believes in me, anyone who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? A question this morning as we end with is, the life God has promised for you is perfect. Do you believe that? And if you do, you can sing this song confidently and accept the life that Christ has for you. You know, you may be here this morning and you're not able to sing that out confidently because what you face right now, you feel like it's too much. And I'm going to pray for us this morning. I'm going to pray that we receive a gift of faith because that takes faith. You may, you may think we're absolutely crazy <laughs> singing this, believing this, but that's the faith that we have, that we have hope beyond what we can experience today. So I'm going to pray for a gift of faith for us this morning before we close. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here this morning. And I thank you, God, that you're speaking to our hearts. And I thank you That right now, God, I don't have to worry if you exist. But Lord, I pray for those who right now are challenged to believe because they've experienced something that challenges them to the point of saying, I don't know that I can trust you, God, because you've let me down. In the name of Jesus, I pray wholeness and faith into each one of our situations. And there are people here that for the first time are going to make the choice to say, I actually am going to trust that there's something beyond this life. And Lord, there are people here who have said that before, but at this moment they're struggling with it. And in Jesus' name, we pray for faith to be able to believe beyond what I experienced today, to know that you're the resurrection and the life, and you give us life beyond this. And Lord, we look to you and say, I will have faith in you because you said you who you were and I've seen that you can be who you were and the promise that we have is for an eternal perfection where we'll spend every day with you and that's where my eyes are fixated not on where my step is today but where my step will be where my life is for to me for for me to live as Christ and then to die as gain Lord I thank you for this series that we're in where we are really looking at what your words mean God, forgive us for the times when we reduce Christianity, where we reduce our faith to a set of routines and life and lives and, and little practices that we have. Lord, you, you've called us to exist on you. You've called us to hear your voice. You have called us to actually have our life not in how we decide and how we live, but our very lives just to be completely founded in you. Lord, thank you that you're challenging us and changing us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.